This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster. And this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. We have not done news in quite a few weeks. Since how long? Since before Star Trek Las Vegas, maybe? Yeah. So this week we're going to talk a lot about all the news that we that's fit to squeeze into a podcast um, that we've missed over the last little while that we haven't had a chance to chat about. And then we're going to do a little focus on the upcoming season of Lower Decks because we're one week away, which includes Tony's interview with the supervising director, Barry Kelly. So let's start off with what's happening next week, Star Trek Day, the anniversary of Star Trek, of course. Um, this has been a big event for Paramount for the last few years, a live event in L.A. For obvious reasons, they're not doing that this year. <laughs> yes. Well, since none of the actors or people in the live action shows are going to come on and promote it because they're on the picket lines. But they are going to do something, which is good. So they're going to be releasing a special on Paramount Plus and on like everywhere. They're putting it up on... You know. It's going to be on Pluto. It's going to be on Paramount Network, all these different places, including I think they're going to be showing it in Times Square as well. Yeah. I don't know how long it is, but it's a pre-recorded thing. Jerry O'Connell is hosting it. It was recorded before the SAG strike. So you're going to see some, you know, I know that Tawny and Eugene are in it because they've shown a, they showed a trailer of it. It's going to be a celebration of the franchise but also there's going to be a, quote, tribute to Discovery, which is having its fifth and final season next year. And there's going to be some kind of sneak peek from Lower Deck Season 4. Now, this comes the day after the premiere, so we can only assume it'll be a sneak peek from the rest of the season. Let's hope where it's, it is neither sneaky nor peaky. Exactly. I mean, and they have nothing else. You know, there are other Star Trek, pro- you know, there's you know, Strange New Worlds and maybe the, you know, and and the Michelle Yeoh movie and other things. But, you know, there's nothing to show for these things because they can't produce it. The Academy shows. So I don't know if any of that stuff will even get a mention. Maybe. I doubt it for some reason, but we'll see. So, and they're also celebrating the 50th anniversary of the animated series, which is funny to think about. That was your first Star Trek, wasn't it? Yes, my the first Star Trek thing <laughs> I ever saw. My brother introduced me to that, and I liked it. Um, and then the rest is history, as it were. So funny. That's like the last one. Before all the new shows came, it was the last thing I hadn't seen. <laughs> and they're also doing... So they're doing special screenings of Lower Decks um, in 11 cities. Not your city and not my city. <laughs> so yeah. we cannot go. Um, but lots of other people can, and they're going to have lower decks and sneak peeks and giveaways and free popcorn. I think those animated shorts are going to be part of this, but uh, the ones we talked about before, um, Aaron Watke wrote one, and they're supposed to be these fun, cool things. You know, Frakes is voicing one, and Doug Jones voiced one, and Armin Shimmerman voiced one. So we'll at least learn more about these things um, on Star Trek Day. Um, and then they're doing a, you know, this could be a, the fact that CBS is running out of content, but on Star Trek Day, which will be a Friday, they're going to run two episodes of Strange New Worlds, the first two episodes on CBS broadcast proper. The I feel like I brought this up when the strikes were first, when we first saw that the strikes were going to last a long time. I think I remember asking you if you thought they would do that. Yeah, I mean, it's, they've done this with Discovery before, Um 
that wasn't really related to any strikes. No, the tricky thing with Discovery was they did it with those first two episodes that didn't give anybody a sense of what the show was going to be like because they were so different from Discovery. Like those, you know. Well, if I think I think they made they actually ran the first season as summer programming in, you know, like a year after it aired. Oh. Uh, but yeah, the first episode did run on CBS for sure on the first night. But so, I mean, this is, you know, it's a fun thing that they're doing this. Um, I'm sure they'll be hyping Lower Decks. You know, it's a wider, wider audience. It's smart because I think if you watch those first two episodes, you do get a sense of what Strange New Worlds is. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that's why I think it'll work. And I think it probably has a, you know, broader appeal in certain ways just for people who are. It looks more like the Star Trek that they associate with Star Trek. So that's Star Trek Day 2023. A little pared down, but obviously they planned ahead around the strikes. They shot the special knowing the strikes were coming. I'm glad they're doing something. I'm going to miss the party in L.A. that they have been doing for the last few years. That's been a lot of fun to both attend and cover. But, you know, for good and obvious reasons, that's not happening this year. Well, there is something else happening on Star Trek Day, <laughs> which is it's it's counter-programming in a way. So um, we have some, basically, it's Michelle Hurd, Jonathan Del Arco, John Bellingsley, and then an actress who hasn't been on Star Trek, but has done a lot of stuff, Natalia Castellanos. And they have have organized a Star Trek picket for that day. And there's one in New York City and one in Los Angeles, both outside of Paramount, where they're inviting fans and anyone who's ever worked on Star Trek to come and walk the picket line. That's There's no events. There's no speakers. There's no nothing. It is simply picketing. But they want everyone to come and do it together to sort of show that this is what makes the franchise what it is, which is all the people who do the work. And they feel that the spirit of Star Trek is the opposite of what's going on right now with the studios. And in LA, obviously it will be at Paramount in Hollywood and in New York, it will be. It's a, it's basically the building I used to work in, which is so funny because Paramount, I worked at MTV for years. It's 1515 Broadway, which is the building I worked in for many, many years because Paramount now owns all of it. So that is where they're all going to meet. We have an article on the site that gives you a lot more details if you want to join and other ways that you can contribute if you want to do that. And we also, we interviewed three of those. We didn't get Michelle Hurd, but we got the other three and we will be releasing that as a supplemental podcast in the coming days. So uh, interesting counter-programming. I expect in Hollywood especially to see a lot of, you know, they, they want actors, writers, crew people, everyone. Yeah, and, they said anyone who ever worked on Star Trek in any capacity. And fans. So this is going to be, there was a kind, there was a WGA organized when they were the only ones on strike, uh, Star Trek theme day very early on in May, um, which I think we covered. Um, we did. I suspect this will be bigger because you got two unions now and it's a little more organized. So I'm curious. I'll, I'm looking forward to it. 
I think a lot of fans are going to show up. I mean, the point is they really the the reason they wanted to invite fans is because of how powerful the fandom is. I mean, they in the interview, which you'll hear eventually, they talked about like Bijo Trimble saving Star Trek, like doing a letter writing campaign. And so the fans have always been very vocal and they felt like they should be inviting the fans in to participate in this. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of frustration now in Hollywood. There doesn't seem to be movement, and the producers put did put forward a proposal which showed some forward movement, but then they kind of did some jerky things by releasing it to the public, and which looked like they're trying to create division amongst the writers. And it's happening, having the opposite effect, because what is happening is that all the writers are like, yeah, no, we're united. We're doing fine. <laughs> well, yes and no. You know, I mean, I'm hearing that there, you know, there are people who want this thing to wrap up. And oh, no, everybody wants it to wrap up. Nobody wants nobody wants to stay on strike. Yeah, I mean, some of the writers are acknowledging that, yeah, the aim, you know, they did make some movement forward. And some of the things that the union are, is at, are asking for, you know, some people are saying may not be realistic. So, I, I mean, I, I think that they're in the zone, but I don't see the wrapping up the strike. But is before October, um, especially both strikes, but it's really hurting. You know, I know people in L.A. This is a big town, but it's also a company town and people who just work on lower level jobs and production jobs. This is really hurting them badly. Yeah. No, it affects so many people beyond the people in those unions. It's huge because they're not filming anything. People are leaving L.A. You know, they can't afford to live here. And there's been some efforts to these funds, especially, you know, for below the line workers and all that. But uh, it's not enough. So. Right. I mean, you know, I'm sure you've seen the news stories, but actors who make a ton of that tiny percentage of actors who make a huge amount of money have been donating massive amounts of money to those funds. Which I think is great. So on some of the uh, business side, we put up an article earlier in the month that's if you're if you want to get into the weeds of what's happening at Paramount, because the other thing going on is this kind of corporate, you know, streaming wars belt tightening and the latest results from Paramount, the CEO and the CFO talked about this was always going to be the, their year of what they call peak spending. So they are cutting back on spending, cutting back on shows. We've seen that with Star Trek. So, but the good news is they're like, we're going to focus on franchises and key user groups. So they, they use this phrase called super serving key audiences. And um, they didn't mention Star Trek, but I think the Star Trek fans and the Taylor Sheridan fans are kind of their big two buckets. So I feel like this is good news. Um, and uh, But the, the interesting thing is they're, they're now – they talked about how they're now looking more at the data. Um, and I think well, you know, with the strikes going, I think they're going to take a real deep look at all of that user data and you know who signs up and what's the churn rate on Star Trek fans and – What's the churn rate on those Taylor Sheridan fans and how do we make sure that they don't leave after a show comes on and that kind of stuff. So I certainly believe that that the Section 31 movie and season three of Strange Two Worlds are just going to start as soon as they strikes end. And Fish talked about that last week. But I think everything else is up in the air. I'm not saying I know anything, but I think... Yeah, I I mean, I... I have no inside information at all, but I certainly tend to agree with you 
that everything else is up in the air. I mean, especially I would say the Academy show. Um, and maybe, you know, the legacy show. I, I think Lower Decks hasn't, you know, will probably, I mean, we know that they are, they have a fifth season. Wouldn't be surprised if they get a sixth. Now let, let's talk a little bit about Prodigy. I still don't think I, yeah, I don't see Prodigy going back to Paramount Plus because no. you know they took the write off. You can't un, you know, you can't unring that bell. So <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, maybe they can. I still think it was weird that they did it, but they did it with a bunch of other shows. But we've had a, a lot of Prodigy news in the last few weeks. Yeah. Well, we got a a clip at. Star Trek Las Vegas, which I think Matt and I talked about a little bit when we did our recap, because we found out that Robert yeah. Picardo is joining the show. You know, when they released that, I was like, wow, they are really, I guess because they're like, you know, what do we got to lose? <laughs> but uh, that showed a lot. Like, I'm surprised that like Picardo, the Voyager A, you got the sense of the two storylines for the season, which is the Solemn storyline will be separate from the kind of kids ship storyline. And they're going to be in possibly two different time frames, I think. And you got a connection to the Romulan refugee crisis. I think that got a shout out. So, you know, they, they really crammed a lot of shit into one clip. And, you know, it looked great. Yeah, no, everything looks great. And they definitely conveyed a lot of confidence that this show is going to be seen. Yeah, that was like at the panel itself. Yeah, the Hagemans, they are genuinely optimistic. I, You know, they just believe this thing's happening. I'm sure the show's going to show up somewhere. We just don't know where. Right. There are active talks. It's not just optimism. Yeah. There are talks going on. And so they're very, you know, they must be feeling good. They'd have to be feeling very good about it even to say they were feeling. I don't think they would say anything if they felt that, oh, it could go either way. Yeah, I mean, Prodigy has not been memory hold. Uh, you know, it, it's it's not like one of those old Soviet things where they erase people from the photos, right? I mean, <laughs> it, you know, it, 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 yes, it isn't included in the official Paramount Plus home of Star Trek promos because it's not on Paramount Plus. But if you look at the Star Trek Day animation celebration poster, Murph is on there. Right. If you look at that clip, it is on Star Trek.com. So, you know, Prodigy is a Star Trek show. When it shows, it will be, you know, it's still part of the franchise. It's just not on Paramount+. Plus. I mean, that is going to be very... So if someone else does buy it and then they air it, it is going to create some awkwardness in terms of promotions, in terms of products, in terms of all kinds of things, I think. It's going to get a little weird to have Paramount talking about Star Trek, but they don't talk about that. I, it's, it is going to get odd. Although it will be what was the case in Europe when Amazon had one show and Netflix had another show. So, you know, it'll be manageable, I believe. But, uh, yeah, it, it'll be complicated for us, you know, dealing with different PR people and stuff like that. But well, um, We can handle that. You know, Aaron Watke was on that panel. He, he's Mr. Hint, hint, wink, wink. But he has essentially talked about how now that they're kind of part of Starfleet, the show is going to be more connected to Star Trek and you'll be seeing connections to other modern Star Trek shows. Right. Including Lower Decks, including Picard, including whatever's going on. Yeah. So that'll be interesting. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this because I also did an interview with him later. Kind of a, a thing that's important is, yes, it's not on Paramount Plus, but 
the show isn't canceled in the normal sense of the word. Um, in they're that, still making it, right? But they're not just making season two and calling it a day. From their point of view, they are shopping the show to other networks who will buy seasons one and two and have an option to buy season three. Right. And the, and the Hagemans are, you know, they're optimistic about season three too. Um, and they want to do a movie, you know, so that they, which was always their plan. And what's changed is where the show is going to be. Now there's no guarantee that say Netflix, if they buy the show, will want to buy another season, but there's no reason why they couldn't is kind of an important thing. So it was removed, but not canceled. It's a weird, it's like a, you know, well, we're in, we're in a new land now in terms of all of these things anyway, and the way the industry works. So yes, it has not been canceled, even though you can't watch it on any streaming networks right now. <laughs> so a number of fans have, you know, felt that same frustration, you know, the save Star Trek campaign has been going, on the, with that hashtag and some fans um and this was organized by one fan in the uk decided let's give her a shout out her name is michelle stokes yes um she's a mom and she loves prodigy and sharing it with her daughter and something that's worked with some other campaigns before like timeless and the expanse is doing aerial banners or you know skywriting that kind of thing as part of a campaign to save a show, uh, you do it above corporate headquarters. And that was done with Prodigy. I actually went to the event in Hollywood where it was flying over the offices of Netflix because they weren't flying over Paramount. They were saying, let's fly over who could buy the show. So it yeah, flew. they did Hulu, Apple, Amazon, and Netflix. Yeah. So I was above the Netflix offices. Some people, you know, some local fans were there. Larry was there. Aaron came. Um, it was fun. Bonnie Gordon was there, I saw. Yeah. And uh, it just had the save Star Trek Prodigy hashtag. Um, and uh, the plane, you know, we we were out in the sun for a long time because it, it, it took off late. Um, but uh, once it got going, it was great. No one, look, the event was covered by The Hollywood Reporter. So people who make decisions for those networks read The Hollywood Reporter. Yeah. So. You know, so and that's the point. The point was to get the attention of people to say fans love the show so much that they funded this themselves and made this happen because they love it so much. And that's, I think, why, like I know with Timeless, the push from fans did get it got us a wrap. I say us because I was a crazy Timeless fan. Um, it did get us a wrap up movie. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I talked to Aaron at the event and he said a couple things. One is that. It's a huge morale boost for everyone who works on the show, but that people at Nickelodeon who, you know, remember this is a Nickelodeon production and CBS studios are aware of the fan efforts and the banner and excited about it, you know, cause they want to sell the show too. Right. It's getting noticed. They haven't sold the show yet, but it's getting noticed. And I put up a second, a full interview with Aaron that I did at the event, like right to the left of the picket line around Netflix, because <laughs> all of you know. <laughs> um, so he confirmed that, well, I, I was surprised by this, that they're going to be essentially done by the end of this year with all 20 episodes, with maybe a little work to go into January. Because plan A, way back when this was a Paramount Plus show, was they were going to release the first 10 in what they called winter, so probably December. But now it looks like, 
you know, in theory, they could, if they sold it to another network, they could release the whole thing in early 2024 if they right. wanted to. Because yeah, Netflix, for example, they tend to drop full seasons. I still suspect they're going to split season two, which is 20 episodes, into chunks. But who knows? From their point of view, they, they just kept on working and they are, I don't know if they're ahead of schedule, but they're well on their way. You know, it's it's interesting because the way that season one ended in a way to set up season two, they're saying season two sets up a new story for season three. So that is definitely encouraging for, I mean, it's it doesn't tell us anything about where it's going to go, but it tells us that at least in their game plan, they didn't wrap everything up in a night in a nice bow. Yeah, I got uh, him to talk a little bit about season two because we saw Picardo in, you know, the doctor in the clip. And I I just wanted to kind of confirm what I suspected, which is that he is essentially stepping in for hologram Janeway in a way yeah. as the mentor for the kids because Admiral Janeway is like Admiral Janeway. She's know? a little busy. She can't she can't be with the kids all the time. Yeah. She's gotta stare at pictures of Chicote in her, you know, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh but uh so you know she's obviously part of the show and you know uh but No and we're gonna get resolution they said to the Janeway Chicote problem that we have in the show, which is that yeah. he's missing and she is sad. Yeah, because they said that season two I certainly hope they mean the first half of season two, but yeah, they, the, the, the Hagemans talked about how, you know, people who worked on that scene, you know, watched the recording and were crying the, the first time they're, they're, they're reunited. Chicote. I think they said someone who was doing the scratch track was crying. Yeah. The guy yeah. recording, they have a guy who's in charge of voice uh, Chalmers. I think his name is, um, and he did Chicote's voice for Kate and he was crying while he was doing it. So that's kind of sweet. So anyway, so Picardo sees himself as a mentor for the kids. It's a perfect fit. Um, so he's on the Voyager A, but he's got his mobile emitter, so he could be with them wherever they go. Cool. And we saw a little bit about that in the trailer. But he said Picardo's in it for the long haul. Or it's, he's not a cameo. He's on the cast for season two, which is great. Yeah, I think that'll be a lot of fun. And he teased a bit about the Voyager A. It's a really powerful ship. It's got all sorts of cool technology including stuff they brought back from the Delta Quadrant, including the slipstream stuff. Um, and then he hinted that there's something about the ship that is connected to the Enterprise D and to the Cerritos. So I'm like 99% certain <laughs> he means it, it, it's got dolphins. It's got cetacean ops. It's got or belugas or whatever, you know, yeah. but it, and, you know, why not, right? Well, but yeah, uh, absolutely, why not? Kids will love it. So. Yep, they're going to have fun with it. I think it's a great idea. I know I'm so, oh, you know how much I love that show. So I'm just every day hoping that this thing will actually happen and we will get more of it. Yeah, I mean, I've stopped thinking about, like, the save Star Trek thing, or, like, where is the show? To me, I've just moved on. It's like, at this point, we would still be waiting for season two, Right. So we're still waiting for season two, but it's just gonna it's just gonna show up somewhere. I don't know where, but it's just gonna be on a different network. But to me, things are just rolling on. Yeah, I'm still nervous. I'm still a little jittery. Well, the absolute nightmare scenario, if you want to call it that, is they just release it on digital and Blu-ray. 
if they but can't. I want more too. You know, I'm greedy. Yeah. I want season two and then I want more. And then I want the feature that they're talking about. I want it all. I feel so strongly about that show. Yeah. And I do think that, that will happen. You know, the, the only thing I worry about is that Paramount's not the only company that's done this. You know, this week, Disney pulled the plug on two shows that they produced. Including that were done. That were right? done, including Shazad Latif, Captain Nemo show. And now they're shopping oh. that around. Now that was co-produced by Paramount, so it'll you know who <laughs> Shazad may be back on Paramount Plus um, as Captain Nemo. Who knows? It but just it's so like all I think about is all the people who worked so hard on these shows and they're waiting for them to come out, and then they're told it's not coming out. Yeah, it's so frustrating. I mean, I uh, I wrote a book last year that's been now delayed and delayed and delayed and now is delayed until next year. And it's so frustrating because I finished it like over a year ago. Yeah, it's the new normal, as it yeah, were. Yeah, I don't like it. It sucks. Well, let's talk about a show that we do know we're getting more of, which is Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which is uh, doing well on the Nielsen chart still. Very well. The 10 episodes of Star Trek Picard got a total of three entries on that chart over its 10-week run. Now, because there's a delay on the Nielsen charts, they've posted charts for six out of eight weeks. Um, they've been on the top 10 original streaming charts. Uh, the latest one for the musical episode, uh, they're ranked number seven. So, number one in my book. Exactly. <laughs> I just want everyone to know I'm still completely obsessed with a musical episode. But that's great, though. It's good. We need Star Trek to do well in a mainstream world. Like, that's uh, whoever owns it, that's always their goal. Uh, now, there's no news. In fact, the biggest news out there now for this show is, you know, the interview we did last week with Chris Fisher, which got picked up by a lot of outlets. Um, you know, how he said basically. They're ready to start shooting as soon as the strikes are over. But there's some other interviews from the media and ourselves that we haven't covered on the pod that's just worth checking out. There was a bunch of stuff after the season wrapped up with the Keevan Henry just talking a little bit about season three and the Gorn and Scotty. So that, you know, they confirmed we're going to see more Scotty, which is, you know, kind of obvious. And uh, there's going to be more genre hopping. And there's definitely going to be more Gorn. Akiva's, his whole thing on the Gorn is they're monsters. That's, you know, that's what they are. And, you know, so I just think for you, just pretend they're called something else. But they are the recurring thing for this show. For right. Sure. And I mean, even separate from canon issues and all of that. I'll just say it once because I'm sure I've said it before, but I uh, monsters to me are not, I don't go to monster movies. I don't find them that interesting. So, it, you know, as I've always said, the point of a monster movie or a zombie movie is mostly not the monster, but how the people deal with the monster, you know, how, how it's the characters in conflict and how they deal with the adversity of the monster. Now related to the Gorn, I interviewed uh, JL and Scott who runs Legacy FX, they're the people who, you know, the, the irony of the Gorn on the show, and we talked a little bit about this last week with Fisher, is, um, you know, the joke is the original Gorn was just a guy in a rubber suit, but for the season finale, it really was a guy in a suit. Um, and these guys built the suit. It's just that 
it's an incredibly elaborate suit. Yeah, I mean, separate from the whether you like the goon or not, I think the artistry that went into making them look as good as they did and combining, which Chris Fisher talked about a lot in our interview, and then this goes into it even more, is just the the, the combination. Like you have the practical effects and the digital effects, and they really used both, I think, in the best possible way. One thing that I found interesting about, so in season one, we saw the little baby gourds and the adolescent gourds, but they they designed the adult gourd in season one so that they can because they knew they were going to eventually get there, then they wanted to make sure it all made sense, which I thought was forward thinking of them. And so I asked, okay, so therefore you've already figured out, even though we haven't seen it, what the Gorn looks like without the suit on, with because he was in a space suit, right? So, so we still kind of haven't seen him. Does he have the the the, the gold loincloth? I can only hope so. <laughs> you know, but they know they they. Even when they're doing the spacesuit version, they built the Gorn without the spacesuit. They know how he talks or if he talks and how that all works. So they've really thought this out. It's amazing how much they've thought this out. They may just be monsters, but they're well-made monsters. Sure. The other thing the showrunner said is, you know, expect more legacy characters. So, you know, I, th- I think there's no way that Sulu and Bones don't eventually show up on the show. Right. And they said the thing that interests them about them is seeing them is meeting them before they become the people we know. Like as they keep trying to say with Kirk, this isn't the Kirk, you know, this is before that they did it with Scotty. They're doing it with all the characters and it won't be as we meet new ones. I mean, again, look, it's not what I would do. I'm so much more interested in just creating something out of scratch, but at at least there is a, a very specific thought process behind the decisions. You know, Fisher said this last week, kind of as an aside of maybe they'll just end up doing TOS. Like, because if you keep on doing what they're doing, you, you could essentially build TOS. As much as I actually don't want them to do that, I feel like they all say it. They all just throw, and they say it almost the same way that he does, just sort of throw it in at the end of a sentence. Like, we could go right into the, the TOS era. They just say these things, and obviously they're thinking about it. It's it's very much on the table. How would you do that? Would you do it like they're going to show the episodes in between the episodes we saw, or we, we see where they jump to year four of the five-year mission? I mean, if you want my opinion, <laughs> I think that they'll just keep trying to find the cracks between them and keep bumping right up against it. I think they'll just keep honestly smashing cannon right and left. I'm just going to be honest. That's what I think would happen is that they're just going to do the thing they want to do. And if they see something that sort of breaks what happened in the episode, they're just going to do it anyway. Last little thing on Strange New Worlds. If you want to see Captain Pike and the crew of the USS Enterprise go into a spooky, weird, uncharted, strange new worlds region, you can in a new comic book called uh, Strange New Worlds, The Scorpius Run, which launched last week. Got a preview of the first episode on this, our first issue on the site. And it's just part of this great, you know, new era of IDW where there's just so much great stuff coming out. And uh, this is their second tie-in to Strange New Worlds. 
Cool. Let's shift gears a little. Okay. Give you some other news that we have going on. I get to talk about my beloved Delta Flyers. So <laughs> the big news for the Delta Flyers is they finished Voyager, which they wrapped everything up before the strike. Um, and when the strikes are done, they are going to start re-watching, I guess re-watching or watching, for Garrett, I'm sure he's seen a lot of it, uh, Deep Space Nine, and they're going to be joined by Armin Shimmerman and Terry Farrell, like every week as their co-hosts, which I am so excited about. I have to say watching one Voyager a week through the whole series has been a lot of fun. I just do the one they're doing, and so I'm going to get to do it with Deep Space Nine, which is great. And with these two people, it's... I'm. Just hopefully a four because a four person dynamic gets a little complicated. So will it always be four of them? I believe or? it will always be four of them. Yeah, it'll be fun. Look, they go long. Their podcast is not short. I pay for all the extra stuff, and I'm very happy with what I get. So I say, bring it. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I look forward to it because I'm thinking then they have. They bring in a guest, like say a writer or something, and then you got five people talking about it. So right, it's, it's going to get. Uh, but I'm sure it'll be great. Yep, it'll be fun. Um, and they also have they've lined up a whole bunch of interviews in the meantime, where they're not going to be talking about Star Trek. They're going to talk about other stuff, but they have interesting people: Roxanne Dawson, Tim Russ, Ethan Phillips, and Martha Hackett. Um, all those people have talked to them before and are really interesting and fun. So I'm sure they'll get more people as well. And Terry's actually doing another project. She's signed up with the Inglorious Trexperts, our friend Mark Altman and Darren and those guys. And they crowdfunded this documentary called To Boldly Go. And it's going to be like a road movie comedy adventure where they're going to visit all the iconic Star Trek locations. You know, Vasquez Rocks is the obvious, but there's tons of them. You know, I guess they got to rent an RV or something, and it'll be Terry and the guys. <laughs> and uh, uh, they they met their fundraising goal. Uh, this was announced in at Comic Con, actually. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, and there'll that's... be more stars and guest stars jumping in. But I, I think Terry's supposed to be part of the whole thing. So. I think she is, but I think they also mentioned like Lawrence Luckinbill is going to be involved somehow. So <laughs> it's going to be. I think it'll be fun. Yeah. <laughs> So let's, we want to get to lower decks. So uh, there's just, you know, there's a few more things on the site and they'll be in the show notes of, you know, but there's been a few products release and Garrett Wong's back as Captain Kim and Star Trek Online and all sorts of stuff. Yep. There's um, thick figures and games and comic previews, all kinds of cool stuff. But let's talk about lower decks because we are less than a week away. That's right. Um, season four will debut on the 7th. They're going to do two episodes on the same day. There's no real shakeups on the show behind the scenes. It's Mike McMahon still running the show. Pretty much the same writing team. The cast is all back. The main new thing from a character point of view is Talyn is now a character on the show. Yay! And if you don't remember, she was from that episode Wage Dude. She was kind of the ownery Vulcan because she was slightly less stern than the rest of the Vulcans. Right. So they, they, they kicked her out of the Vulcan, Vulcan ship, and now she's assigned to the Cerritos. The other big thing for the season is the crews getting promotions. Uh, yeah. Like other seasons, they're going to do some iconic stuff. So the USS Voyager, they're going to visit Orion, they're going to visit Ferenginar, 
Um, there's supposedly a Valentine's Day kind of episode, romantic. I think that's a Ferenginar episode. Um, there's a wedding, which I guess is separate thing. So someone's getting married. Yeah, I said it's going to be a big deal, the wedding. Peanut Hamper's back. Badgie's back. Agamus is back. The Alamorane game turns up. <laughs> <laughs> but, but there's a bigger kind of threat for the season, a kind of a serialized threat, some mystery ship destroying non-Federation ships, and eventually that's going to kind of wrap into the story. So let's roll in my interview with Barry Kelly, the supervising director, and we're going to talk about some of these changes, and you could hear it from the horse's mouth, as it were. All right. Okay, so this is like a generic question, but you know, what what's new for season four? You know, <laughs> uh, season four we have well uh, at the end of season three we saw Mariner kind of more in a happier place. Like I think she's she's you know she 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 left uh, Starfleet while she got you know sent to Starbase eighty wrongfully. You know she was she she kind of found herself finally like okay I'm Starfleet. You know she's 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 gonna maybe quit this like uh, this anti rebel attitude attitude and. Uh, or anti, you know, anti, uh, anti authority attitude and maybe kind of, you know, buy into it a little bit more and accept that, like, she's, she loves Starfleet, but, um, she got sent to Starbase 80 and saves the day ultimately because she realizes Starfleet is where her home is. And, um, we find her in a, in a good spot. She's, she's, she's committed. She's confident. And when we start this season, she's inspiring Boimler, you know, she's, she's, um, She's uh running yeah she's at the front of the bridge she's got a better relationship with her mom um they've they've come together and and now we're starting this season with uh you know a bit of a a, a shipping episode where they're shipping and uh, escorting Voyager you know off to uh off to Earth uh, to become a museum a relic you know and um towards the end of the episode we st- we have this little tag at the end it's, uh uh we we go back to uh, our character mock from episode uh 209 where uh, wage douge where we got you know vignettes of uh, Vulcan lower decks and a uh, Klingon lower decks and we're we're kind of showing uh where he's been where he's come from and uh or where he is now and he has you know he's, he's wearing his new captain's garb but we we get this little vignette of the lower decks you know there's still lower decks doing lower decks things on 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 the Klingon ship and a mystery ship shows up and destroys the ship and we're left to wonder what that was. The ship isn't Starfleet. We're not sure what that is. And it's the first time we're doing a bit more of a, a serialized uh, story throughout the season. Like last season three, we had a little bit with Buen Amigo. We didn't realize Buen Amigo was maybe throughout the whole season. And then you realize he's in like a few episodes and then it turns out he's the bad guy at the end of the season. But it's still very episodic. So this season we're doing a little bit more. There's a little bit of a uh, some overhanging, you know, menace or overhanging threat. <laughs> I don't mean to say Phantom Menace. That's a different. <laughs> that's a different, different franchise. But uh, yeah, a bit of, of overhanging threat that our lower deckers don't know about just yet, and uh, we'll see how it meets up with them later. What does adding the character Talyn do to the show? Would you say that's a great question? And I think I love her. I once once we started doing scenes with her amongst the lower decks crew, I'm like, oh, this is why you have a Vulcan on board because it immediately makes everything like. 10% funnier like <laughs> like 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 having them crack jokes 
and then having this one person in the room not laughing, not reacting, not that it makes it so much funnier. Like she doesn't either she doesn't get it or she gets it and she doesn't like it or she doesn't think it's funny. And it's it's such a great like a, a, a lot of why what I learned from comedy writers and uh, actors I've worked with is that. You know, you want to see everybody in a shot because you want to see you want to, when you see a joke land, you want to see how everybody reacts to it. And just adding that one element of a Vulcan just not laughing is so funny. Like it's <laughs> just her not getting the joke. Yeah, yeah. I, I already said it. Like, like she's uh, she's a wonderful like little extra. It's like just adds that one little degree of texture that makes every joke funnier and makes every interaction a little better between the crew. Something that, you know, you guys established in season one but it's carried on through the show, and I'm curious if you're sticking with it, is that you and the artists, but, you know, you as director or, you know, supervising director, are leaving the comedy to the writers and the actors, and you're shooting the show like an episode of Next Generation almost, using the same lighting style, blocking, that kind of stuff, you know. And, you know, so my question is, are you sticking with that? And, like, is that hard for animation artists especially some coming from comedy shows because they kind of want to yuck it up as it were with the animation you know and it it, it, is it a struggle to keep it keep you guys playing it straight while they're doing the funny yeah it's 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 unfortunately it's not always the case but it's it's a show that credit to mike and the writers that everybody who works on it loves it and every and and it's it's you know in a lot of shows uh, especially like season one shows wherever like you'll be in a room full of animators and the dailies like you know we have this meeting that's dailies and it's like you know we're watching whatever's up for review if you're if you're done with the scene you submit it and we're all we all watch it together and i'll note it or our animation directors will note it up and usually you know some people laugh some people don't it's just it's just a job and on lower decks like everybody's laughing every shot like every every time they're seeing it and that they inspire each other they try to outdo each other they want to, you know, if they see someone else do something funny, they want to kind of outdo them. But uh, it, it is like hearing Jack and Tawny, Tawny's voice just inspires so much. And like, it, it's a thrill to get their uh, uh, their audio, you know, in our edits so that we can uh, uh, mine what they're saying. Because sometimes what they're saying off mic is even funnier. And then we'll and we'll, uh, we'll 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 cut that in, and the animators can run 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 uh, run away with it. But um, another addition to like to Lynn being there is like sometimes we've had to like she, it, we, a constant note on to Lynn is like less do less do less she's moving too much she's moving too much she, she, she didn't even move like this like it's trying to make her look stiff so that all those jokes play more it'll, it just plays funnier the less she the less she does uh it'll it'll play a lot better but yeah like we were saying like how we shoot it like a Star Trek show we we stick it, the script is already so funny like we we get to add a lot of more visual gags than the than uh the script entails because uh, again a credit to mike and the, and the writers is that the descriptions in the script are just general enough that we can run with it and it's and it's vague enough like there's always like i mean an example from some film school i had was like a line in ghostbusters is like uh egon peter and uh, uh ray you know, they, they trap Slimer in a ballroom in a ghost trap. And it's like, that's kind of all that's written. It's like, but that sequence in the movie is like 10 minutes, you know, like it's like, so a lot of, they, they're really good at just writing just enough specifics for us to take a scene and just kind of build it out, uh, uh, in a more, you know, give it more context, more action. We can, we can really spice it up without having to like, you know, take too much direction. They don't have to give us much direction through the script. 
it's 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 generally like just kind of like the, the we just need to know like the attitudes and emotions and stakes of the characters, which which is pretty much the most important thing to Mike, and we get to run with it. We 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 can we can just we know who the characters are. We're you know a well a well oiled machine at this point, so all all uh, phases and all crews are um, all points of production are firing pretty pretty well. You mentioned you visited Voyager last season. You visited DS9. Those are painstakingly recreated, but you're also creating new canon, which I assume is a more challenging thing. Like this season, you guys are visiting Orion, which is going to be like the first visit to Orion in Star Trek, strangely. That's crazy, right? That's crazy. How could we not have gone to Orion before? So what do you do when you're given that, like, oh, now it's your job to decide what Orion looks like, you know, and how do you, how do you even start with that blank page? Heavy, heavy is the burden <laughs> for making a, a world that has seemed to have existed for 40 years or 40 or 50 years of Star Trek canon that we've never seen before. Our art director, Nolan Abena, is fantastic and he's really good at like kind of capturing, he, he always kind of points out to me like, like, well, it's a planet. So like our, on our planet, you know, Florida doesn't look like Nebraska. You know what I mean? Like, so like we're able, I think we're able to like, if you, if you watch the episode, who knows how much distances are traveled between points on Orion? Um, you know, and, and DS9, like they talk about beaming from Starfleet Academy to, uh, uh, Cisco's dad's restaurant in New Orleans. So it's like, it's almost like in this state or in this technology, like I think once you see a location, it doesn't have to stay looking like that exact location you already started. So like we, we get to see a little bit of different parts of Orion, even if it's not, I, I feel like even if the first time you see where we go on Orion, Maybe it's not exactly what you thought it was. Maybe it looks like farmland or something. But then we still get, we still show that they go to, you know, like a, 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 a bustling Blade Runner feeling city that, that is there. Like, even though it's not in the distance, it, it, it feels like all these places can exist on one planet because a, a planet is diverse. It's super, it's super contextual. Like, I think like, you know, when at the only times in this live action shows, we, we, the pirate theme is clear. <laughs> but like, you know, like, like, like once you, once you get like, let's say like pirates, drug lords cause they're like they get pretty snazzy homes and pretty snazzy you know uh they live on island resorts and things like that that does not look like you know like a pirate ship or anything like that so i think we're able to give like a little bit more um uh layers and texture to orions in general because tendy tendy herself is someone who's finding herself in this situation that you know like maybe her social circles are starting to collide I, I always get stressed out when that happens. You never know if these, these worlds are going to collide for the good or worse. What if they're like even greater and they like, they like their worlds better without you or something like, Oh no, these friends are like better friends than me and you were, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but, uh, no, um, I'm losing my train of thought. Um, <laughs> going, go, going, yeah, going to all right. It, it is a heavy burden. And it's, it's, I think we made like enough little pieces that like every version that, if you had a version in your head of what Orion, what you thought Orion looks like, we hit it. I, th- I think I think that there's enough pieces of Orion to satisfy anyone's version of what they had in their head because that's kind of what you're dealing with with adding texture to new canons. Like all of us have read things, been in, been a fan of something, and the dark pieces, the the other corners that you're not, isn't explicitly out said. Like we all have kind of some version in our heads of what that might be, and we're always trying to make the like most iconic version of what we think that is. So that it supports what you think, you know, what you think that planet looks like or what you think that character did off screen or something like that. And, uh, uh, yeah, I, I think that 
our art director Nolan Bain like succeeded in that. Great. Um, well, that's all the time we've got. We've got over. Thank you, Barry. Um, and uh, talk to you later. Hey, thanks. Good okay. seeing you again. Bye bye. First of all, that was a great interview, Tony. I enjoyed that a lot. He had a lot of good stuff to say, and you asked him a lot of good questions. Uh, Look, uh, there's nothing he said that made me worried. (laughs) You know, Lower Decks is one of those shows that I'm like, just give me, serve up whatever you want to serve up, because I've enjoyed like 99.9% of it, probably. Um, But I loved his description of Talyn and why they need her in the show and how she makes everything, how Vulcans make everything funnier by being unamused. And it is interesting, this kind of way that, you know, because his job is at director is to how much you play it up. And, and I like the, how they're like, no, keep it straight. Yeah. Do uh, less. Yeah. Which has been one of the genius things about this show, this idea of how he and his guys shoot it like Star Trek and the jokes. Cause if you think about a, cartoon comedy they play it up you know everything's goofy and wacky and zany exaggerated facial movements and yeah weird close-ups of things and yeah 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 and they never do that on this show it really looks like star trek the next generation but i mean obviously sometimes it you know there's some pretty weird stuff on the show. But. Yes. Well, I loved his description of everybody watching the dailies because I just would kill to be in that room. Like all these people just laughing so hard and then being inspired to make sure that their thing will make everybody laugh so hard the next time. It reminded me a lot of our discussion with Chris Fisher, you know, just the enthusiasm. Yeah. Which you can tell comes from the team. I liked that, you know, the way he talks about how they're a well-oiled machine now. So, you know, they've done three seasons of this. Um, and now this is their fourth season. I, I found it interesting because you know, the, the the way he talked about Orion, I appreciate this idea of it's like, you know, when you visit a planet, it doesn't all look the same. Right. Because that is one of the annoying things about Star Trek is everyone has the same haircut. The everyone same has- outfit often. Like it's the I always would say it's the vest planet or the jumpsuit planet or the two colors that everybody wears in different combinations planet, which is a fun Star Trek trope. But this is, def- it's definitely more interesting. And I don't want to say realistic, but sure, realistic to show that, you know, if you came to Earth, you would see a lot of different things if you went to different places. And if you landed in one town on Earth and decided this is Earth, then you're going to be very wrong. Exactly. So it was funny. Like, he's, he's like, oh, you know, it, it is kind of weird I mean, technically, some people are saying that there's that scene in the cage, you know, where he has the memory of, uh, you know, the Orion slave girl. Like, is that on Orion? Possibly. But really, this is our first real visit to Orion is was done by Lower Decks. Kind of daunting. Yeah. But they've done such a good job with building up a little bit already with Tendi over the previous seasons and her connection to her people. And we've met some others and I don't know, I feel like they, they do Orion's in the best way. Yeah. And I think that'll be reflected in that episode. So um, there's a few other things on the site that we're going to talk about the everyone getting promoted thing. They put out a press release with quotes from all the actors, which I thought, you know, was interesting in, you know, what Tawny had to say about how Mariner doesn't want the promotion. Right. She fights it and tries to give it back. And uh, Boimler, but of course, Boimler's excited. But then I think there's an element of, you know, careful what you wish for. 
and Rutherford is actually nervous about it, you know. Um, so, you know, coming from Eugene. I mean, I, I'm glad that they're doing the promotion thing. I, I know, I think you had a different point of view. I've, I've always felt that this show has to be like the next generation. They can't treat the show like the Simpsons where they're constantly resetting and they've been on the ship. It is slightly serialized. It, you know, it's time for them. It would just be weird for them because they, 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 they've saved the universe. You know, they've saved, you know, they've done good things. They deserve promotions. All of them. Well, so did Harry Kim. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Look, I don't, I mean, it's like if they wanted to do like a Simpsons kind of thing and just keep them as they are, I would be fine with that. But I don't have any objection to the change. Again, they've established such trust with me that I feel like whatever they do is going to work. And and if they want to elevate it, take it to or whatever, escalate it, take it to a new place. That's fine. And how they all react to their promotions should be really interesting. I I will miss their quarter. I will miss where they live. <laughs> if right, they end that... up moving into nice quarters, because I love like towel guy always in the background and whatever's <laughs> going on there is always so funny. And that they're always together. Part of the reason they're hanging out together is because they all, their bunks are close to each other. Well, maybe Talin has to stay in the bunks. <laughs> um, so they, they'll go visit her. And, right. You know, Whether she, she likes it or not. She may have some thoughts on Tal Guy. There's also Ian, um, you know, one of our contributors wrote an early review based on, because we've been given the first eight episodes, like the rest of the media. Um, we've controlled, Lori and I have controlled ourselves. I've watched the first two. You've watched. I've only watched the first one because I forgot they were showing two the first day. So I'm going to watch the second one, maybe tonight or tomorrow. But Ian's review, you know, it talks about, it's not spoilery, but that they don't just because they're promoted. They've, there's new challenges, and they're not exactly high-ranking officers. They're still underdogs. They're still lower decks. Yeah, um, and they handle it well to kind of keep that vibe going, and it it off it creates new comedic opportunities. So, um, so I'm glad they're doing that for sure. And yeah, I I mean I'm with you in that. There's almost nothing to say about this show. It's like, oh, more Lower Decks? Fine. I'm ready. Yeah, bring it. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, but I am also glad that they are changing things. I mean, there are some kind of big changes for season four. The promotions, the Talin, the more serialized story. So I don't I don't really want a more serialized story, but I feel like they will probably be smart. Like, it's not going to be... I think they'll weave it in so slowly that it'll be bits from one episode to the other and then we'll build is my guess of how they're going to handle it. Yeah. Well, I think it will be happening in the background. So right. it's not happening to our characters as much. Yeah. But you'll hear about it. You know, there'll be a report about the ship or whatever, you know, eventually we'll get there probably for the season finale, you know? Yeah. But... Which that pacing works nicely for me. Yeah, I just love all the end of it. I love that each episode kind of has a distinct flavor. I enjoy that a lot. Yeah, and I think they'll still do that. Yep. And, you know, the other thing from Ian's review is they're not leaning big into legacy characters this year, which I think is good. Um, the visit to Ferenginar, um will include... Oh, Ron Matt. and Lita are in it, right? Yeah. So, um, 
Right. Yeah. So he's still Grand Nagus and she's still his wife. Um, and they and, got Max Grodin, Chicken Chase Masterson. So who knows what they've done to Ferreganar? You know, are the, all the women <laughs> wearing all the women are wearing clothes now? I guess that'll be interesting. But it, it it doesn't sound like they are really, you know, making a big deal out of out of getting legacy cameos, which was a big thing. And the you know the, the jokes are continuing to evolve away from the over the top sight gags to more character based comedy. That's exactly what I want. Um, they've developed these characters. They can now use them for the laughs. And the Easter eggs, you know, they're getting, they're branching out to referencing things that aren't even Star Trek, which is good too, you know, so. Right. But that, the first episode is jam packed with Star oh. Trek references. <laughs> yeah. The, the, that one I've seen. And yeah, I mean, the, that, so the first episode is the one where they visit the Voyager as you know, Barry talked about, and they just couldn't help themselves. I mean, yeah, it's, and it's great. <laughs> yeah, especially for you, such a huge Voyager fan. I, I, the ridiculous grin I had on my face <laughs> while I was watching it. Oh, man. Well, the, the episode is titled Tuvix. Yes. It's just spelled differently, T-W-O. But yeah, it is, it's, it's insane, and they really lean it's, into it. And it's going to add, you know, everybody's still arguing about Tuvix all these years later. Like every day you can go on Twitter and find people arguing about what Janeway did. And so I'll just say this. Um, people will still be arguing. <laughs> That's, Absolutely. Absolutely. It adds another element to the conversation. Yeah. They do not shy away from <laughs> <No>. that <laughs> discussing that controversial decision in, in any way. Um, the fact that we're laughing just talking about it should tell you a lot. Yeah. Well, I mean, this next week we'll have a lot more to say about this. So we should probably shut yeah. up about episodes. Yeah, I know. Enough, 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 enough. And I haven't seen the second one yet, but the, t- the title is I Have No Bones Yet I Must Flee. And I don't know. Who among you has read the Highland Allison short story? I have no mouth, but I must scream. Uh, but I read it many, many years ago, and it freaked me out. And just glancing at it again recently, it still freaks me out. <laughs> this one is a, you know, you can see this from the preview. So they, they release preview images from the first two episodes, so you can kind of see bits. And so they've kind of spoiled some of these things. But that one, they're visiting a space zoo, a menagerie. So I'm sure we're going to get lots of menagerie jokes. Yep. And we know things go very badly. And there's kind of a monster gets loose and that kind of thing. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, I'm so excited that we've got new Star Trek. But I'm just in the mood for, I don't know why, but um, after August, I'm just really in the mood for Lower Decks. In a yeah. big way. You know, it'll keep us going through... Uh, End of November, I guess, right? I think so. And then the great Star Trek drought. Well, it doesn't start. We'll have a little bit of a drought until Discovery Season 5, which we don't know exactly when, except early 2024. And then the true great Star Trek drought will begin after that. Although it doesn't compare to the what I consider the big Star Trek drought, which was when I discovered Star Trek as a kid and found out it was over. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but you still had hundreds of episodes to absorb. Well, not well, when I it. was a kid. Oh, right. When you were a kid. Right. When right. I was a kid, there were 79 episodes. I saw them all a thousand times. 
I couldn't find the animated series as a kid, and I still had to wait for the existence of the movie. That is rough. <laughs> but then, the, you know, but then the next 20 years were like movies, next gen, DS9. I mean, it was just a never ending. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was a and then I thought field. it was over again. And then we got Discovery. So Star Trek continues on forever. It'll never stop. And Good. We, we will always be there. Um, <laughs> one last uh, bit of biz news, as it were, related to Lower Decks is it's available for free. Um, not season four, but all of season three is available on YouTube temporarily um, and uh, on Pluto all through September. So, and, and I suspect they'll put the first episode on YouTube for free because it's kind of their pattern with all the Paramount yeah. shows. Not just Star Trek. They do this with all their shows, basically. So that'll probably be a week. That'll probably be on the, like the 14th, you know? If you haven't caught up on season three and you haven't subscribed, you can catch it all for free. Yep. Oh, oh, I, one, you know, so one last thing. This wasn't in my Barry interview just because there was a technical glitch at the end. But I did ask him about season five. Um, and he said they're already working on it. He's already getting scripts. They're already hilarious. He's still finishing up some stuff on season four, but season five work has is happening. I, I suspect we could get that in the, um, there's no reason why that wouldn't be a summer uh, 2024 thing actually. So yeah. the, the post discovery drought might not be too long as it were. Right. Um, his description of the scripts, by the way, I would love to get a hold of one of those scripts just when he was talking about like the amount of direction they give and then what happens. I would love to see a script from an episode we've already seen and be looking at that script and comparing it to where we netted out. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the funny on this show, I mean, Mike McMahon and his team are hilarious. The actors are hilarious. But Barry and his guys yes. are adding a lot of the jokes because there'll be a line in the script and that could be all sorts of stuff from those guys where they add yeah. stuff. Yeah. No, that's when he was saying it. When I was listening to him, I was just thinking, that's what I want is to be able to see that comparison. Like, you know, there are some people who do these cool things on, they make these cool videos where you see the script of a movie and then you actually rolling while the scene is playing. And I would love to see that with Lower Decks, just to see how much they do with their mm -hmm. direction. A lot, a lot of the Easter eggs on the show are added by those guys. Yeah. I've talked to Mike about that. It's like, I didn't tell them to do that. They right. just did it. He's delighted by it, but I think that's great. So I think that's, you know, so we're, we are ready. Hopefully you, our listeners are now fully ready for Lower Deck Season 4 coming on the 7th. And let's wrap things up, I think, with our bits of the week. So mine, I'm calling back to something that we covered on the site a few weeks ago, but I just think is kind of cool, um, which is a member of the House of Representatives from California. Adam Schiff has uh, sent a letter to what's called the Citizen Stamp Advisory Committee uh, proposing that they approve a stamp or develop a stamp for Leonard Nimoy, honoring Leonard Nimoy. And, you know, it's a really nice letter with some Star Trek references in there, but also about his philanthropic work. And I just think that would be great. So, you know, and this is a, you know, this happens... This isn't like some weird thing. Like they do this all the time, you know, when 
you have to be dead to be on a stamp, I think. But all sorts of people get honored on stamps every year. Famous Americans from, you know, the arts and business and all sorts of things. I have Paul Newman stamps and Catherine Hepburn stamps. Yeah. So he's been on stamps as because there's been Star Trek stamps. Like in 2016, yes. there were there were um, and there's some stamps from around the world that have Canada has some beautiful Star Trek stamps. I have a whole gorgeous set yeah. and a poster that has them all in it. It's quite lovely. So this and this is a big year. You know, there the um, there's a theater in LA in Westwood being that's that has been renamed the Nimoy Theater. Um, yeah, based, based on a generous donation from his wife, it's going to be an arts and entertainment center for UCLA, and that's opening up this fall. So. So you know, cool. you, you drive into Westwood, you just see this huge sign that says Nimoy. Yes. So, <laughs> it's so cool. So that's my bit of the week. What 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 you got? Mine is kind of funny. So the deal is I was talking with some people on Twitter about Jewish characters on Star Trek. And so I decided to go into a chat GPT thing and ask it some questions. And so I asked it, are there any Jewish characters on Star Trek? And the first thing it said is, Captain Benjamin Sisko, portrayed by Avery Brooks, is one of the most prominent Jewish characters in the <laughs> franchise. And then it kept going. And it said he's shown to be of African-American and Jewish heritage. And it said, here's my favorite part. Throughout the series, there are references to his Jewish background, such as his love for cooking and serving traditional Jewish dishes like gumbo. <laughs> so then I asked it, is gumbo a Jewish dish? And then it said, I apologize for any confusion. Gumbo is not a traditional Jewish dish. <laughs> so I checked it again today and I asked about Jewish characters and it told me all about Jewish actors. And then it finally said, oh, yeah, sorry. I guess there aren't really Jewish characters. <laughs> well, uh, it's learning. It shows that it's learning. <laughs> Yes, I taught it that Cisco is not Jewish. <laughs> That's, I, I feel like this is a noble thing that, I mean, there must have been a character that had mentioned being Jewish. On So the first official mention of Judaism was in Discovery, because Pike says it when they go to that planet, New Eden, yeah. I think, in that episode. Yeah. But I remember talking to Jordan Hoffman about this years ago. We decided Worf's parents are Jewish. That makes sense. And yeah, yeah I'm sure there's all sorts of characters you could point to and certainly when you know there's so many jewish actors on the show yeah um, including captain Kirk and mr spock yeah. <laughs> and Chekhov. yeah yeah where you could say yeah that character makes sense that that character is jewish you know i like as a jewish person i like to see the jewish people turn up in star trek i want to know that we're still there and i remember That's thinking important. well where are we we're not there and so I, Worf's parents were definitely the, clo the closest thing. But they, someone should say, you know, uh, they, they, they should talk about celebrating. Their bar mitzvah, something. Yeah, yeah. 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 It should Passover, be made, whatever. Yeah, yeah. it should be made more overt. It's a weird, we'll have to mention this next time we talk to Alex. Because they're so, you know, they're like, we want representation. We want people <laughs> to be seen. And it seems almost odd. Like, you know, you've missed kind of an important group out there. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll have to get that added to the, to the canon, as it were. Yes. Because it, it would be, it would be a mitzvah, right? <laughs> yes, it would. <laughs> look, look at you go. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it for All Access Star Trek for our first episode of September. We'll see you next week. 